the Body Story podcast, where I share the candid, inspiring conversations I've enjoyed with my guests about their bodies. I invite my guests to dig into their past and share their stories of their bodies developing, growing and changing. The first series revolves around people identifying as women. I'm your host, Sarah Walwork, fitness business owner of 15 years and cis middle-aged mum. My guest today is my friend Bo Wong, photographer, retreat creator, mum of two and wild ocean swimmer. An independent spirited child, Bo used her strong body to dive, tumble, run and kick. As a teen, she moved between parents, houses and schools and toward the wild side. Bo said goodbye to this lifestyle in her mid-twenties and built a career in babies. In her thirties, Bo moved to the Great Southern with her small family and discovered her fins and gills and a wonderful group of ocean-swimming women. These women became a key source of inspiration to Bo. In recent times, Bo says her body has said no, as she struggles with chronic fatigue and long COVID. This is a wild and wonderful body story. All right. Welcome, Bo Wong. Oh, thank you for having me, Sarah. I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I think we're just going to get into it. Let's do it. First of all, do you mind telling me your age? I do not mind telling you my age. It's 44 or 40 plus GST, as my friend said to me the other day. Do you know, I absolutely love the double digit numbers. Yeah. It's a vibe. It's a full vibe. Yeah. 44. My next one's 55. What a great number, hey? Yeah. Bloody you know you're it. winning when you're it, just hitting. It's like double. It's like another reason to have another kind of party. <laughs> totally. It's like you don't need a zero on the end anymore. We need to move the party <laughs> yes. slightly closer together. So we're going to choose double digits I'm or any. It. You know what? If it's an even number, yeah, you, you've given me a good idea. Right, that's mm. it. I'm having a rockin' fifty fifty fifth. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Okay. What's your earliest memory of your body? Like, what were you doing, or and where were you? My earliest memories of my body are a lot to do with being really physical, being outside. Um, I don't have any, like, particular memory that I can think of, but I do have a, a general sense that it was, you know, a lot of summer, that Perth summer, outside, no shoes, burning feet on bitumen, um, and just running around a lot. There was just a lot of moving. How old were we talking? Oh, I don't know, maybe four or five. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a particular kind of movement that you loved? Like I loved riding my bike and I, I had this memory the other day of living in Albany actually and there's a street called McLeod Street. I, I don't know if you know it because I know you live in Denmark. And at the bottom, I don't think it's there now, but at the bottom of um, you go to the top of the hill of McLeod Street and there was this huge hill down to a tip. I think it's called Miramar. Okay. Anyway, I must have been so young and be riding my bike steep down this hill to the tip, which was also really fun to have a scavenger around in too. <laughs> <laughs> that is so classic. <laughs> that is such a classic memory. I think a lot of my memories were more around um, like I'd be riding my bike. My brother's seven years older than me, so he we did this thing again that you just reminded me um, where we would run down. He would run down the hill. And I would ride my bike and try to be as fast as I could. And I just think, I remember thinking he is so amazing because he could run as fast as I could ride. And he would like, I would like sit on his back and he would do push-ups, like that kind of thing. And I'd be like, oh my God, he is so cool. (laughs) 
that is like a pinnacle, you yeah. know, pinnacle person who um, can do a, you know, push up with their little sister on their back. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I mean, he still impresses me to this day. I was going to say, Kieran. Yeah. Another them. body schooler. <laughs> love it. <laughs> do you remember anybody talking about your body when you were like quite young? Look, I had, I, I had this auntie actually because one of the things I did love doing was handstands. I was like an endless handstander, endless person, you know, gymnastics, Against the wall wheels. or just in the oh, air? Just anywhere. Yeah. Against the wall. Not against the wall. <laughs> That's the two options. <laughs> next to the couch. Yeah, next to the couch. <laughs> but I was always flipping and, tur- you know, tumbling and turning and, you know, we had a trampoline. So it was like a lot of movement and a lot of handstands, a lot of gymnastics and... Um, I remember an auntie of mine, it must have been a Christmas or, you know, we hung around with our cousins and stuff quite often in Fremantle. And I did a handstand and my top must have come up. And I can't remember what she said. She said, but it was it was very clear that that was not the right thing to have had happen. And I, you know, and just... How old was, were you, do you reckon? I reckon I was like six or seven. Mm. And I, I remember very clearly that sense of like, oh, there's something here, there's something that I can't, you know, there was some sort of edge. But because she's not, she wasn't my mum or my dad or my, you know, mm. it was also, it, it just didn't really have a huge impact, but it definitely lodged that first memory of something to do with your body being somehow shameful, like somehow, you know, got to hide, so, there's something about it. I think it stands out for me because generally my family didn't really make comments about my body and I think most of our, you know, we were really physical kids, sports, 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 just Yeah, so you played lots of sports, did you? We played all the sports. What sports? <laughs> just start naming sports <laughs> Yeah, go now. on. Basketball, volleyball, all the athletics. I did gymnastics. I did trampolining. I did diving. So would you say then that your mum and your dad were really supportive of you playing all these sports, like the driving and the, you know, signing you up and oh, the no, pain? Oh, no, we just went, we did it all ourselves. Did yeah, you? There was nobody drove me to Didn't anything. they? Yeah, no. Really? No, we walked everywhere I walked from... Home, I'd go to train at the Claremont Pool for diving. I'd walk there, I'd get the bus. I was always on public transport, so my, or on foot. My parents were separated from before I can remember, so okay. I don't really have any memory of them being together. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, my parents were also, because they were separated, working, both working full time, okay. they definitely were never on the sideline. Okay. Yeah. Unlike my life as a parent where I'm just, you know, getting hypothermic on the sideline of every football and soccer game and, just, you know, it's it was not like that at all. But that's pretty interesting, isn't it? So you were this incredibly physical kid, including all the walking, working, uh, walking everywhere, mm. but you were doing it really quite independently. Totally. Yes, totally. Really interesting. Yep. Okay, so do you remember, do you remember your mum ever talking about her body when you were little? Uh, I don't have any direct memory, or dad, but I, for that matter, yeah. So my mum partnered with a woman. My stepmum, Sue, moved in when I was ten. So I lived with mum and Sue three and a half days of the week, and then my dad and his various um, partners. So I had sort of various stepmums with him and step siblings. So I, I went between these two houses that had really different. Um, Similar values in a sense, but really different lifestyles. 
And so at Mum and Sue's it was very much around they were both, um, you know, working in, they were really forging forward in a man's world, in the corporate space, in the academic space. Um, there was a lot of diets. It was like non yeah, a lot of dieting, a lot of focus on, I mean, I've got vague recollections of aerobics Oz style on the yeah. telly. Um, and because they were two women, yeah. I think the dieting factor was quite high. The way that it kind of overflowed to me, like my sister is five years older than me and she was on a Jenny Craig diet when she was probably 13 or 14. So wow. I would have been eight or nine mm-hmm. at that time and we had Weight Watchers biscuits. I remember being starving all the time. so fucking hungry. Mm. I don't know if you're allowed to swear on this. Swear, I'm, I'm swear away. Swear. You swear cannot. Away. There's going to be swearing. <laughs> um, I was so hungry all the time at Mum and Sue's house. So I would basically go to Dad's for that three and a half days where there was shitloads of food and he had like Nutri-Grain and two-minute noodles and all this other stuff that we weren't allowed at Mum and Sue's house and I would basically binge non-stop at Dad's, fill up yeah. so that I could go back go to back Mum and the Sue's. Weight Watchers yeah, Back to these fucking Weight Watchers biscuits. So, you know, I think, you know, that's obviously has informed a lot of, um, I, you know, I do think the messaging that I got from mm. Mum and Sue, it, it did have a lot to with being, it's, you know, it was always important to be thin. It's not good to take up space. Mm. It's really good to be thin. And especially because you're already in a world where being a woman is yeah. considered an absolute disadvantage. Mum used to tell me you have to work twice as hard for half the recognition. That's what the world is like. That And that's actually, mm. you know... That is the world that she was in. She was shamed for being a woman. She was, if she said something that men didn't like, they would say, you know, oh, well, is it that time of month? And she was in executive, you know, she was the only woman at executive level all the time just being constantly um, just sort of diminished for being female. And so I think a lot of that stuff, I was brought up very masculine Um, It was very important to show masculine traits for me because any sign of femininity was very much a, uh, you know, it's a weakness. They were out there and experiencing it, wasn't it? They actually were. And and would you say then that as far as the body stuff and the dieting stuff goes, then this was a bit of a protective mechanism from your mum and her partner? Yeah, probably. And look, they... Looking back, you know, Sue was younger than I am now when she, you know, she would have been in, you know, 30 or something when she moved in and suddenly she got three, you know, a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old and, you know, in a um, same-sex relationship when it wasn't hip. Mm. I mean, I just said the word hip. I mean, if that doesn't indicate the amount of time that has passed... Yeah, having masculine traits was really important. And there was a whole section of time where I, I changed my name to a boy's name and I said, I'm a boy, I cut my hair short. Wow. I forced my when sister to call me when I was probably seven or eight, I think. Yeah. And um, just I want to go back to that in two seconds, but um, rewind back a bit about the when you were talking about doing all the sport. Mm. Do you remember or can you remember feeling at all like you were quite powerful in any way because you did all this physical activity yeah always yeah Amazing. always felt really strong mm. and yeah. then now i want to go back to that other story about the um 
wanting to be a boy. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I guess, you know, the context of, you know, gender identity now is quite different to Mm. what it was, you know, 35, 40 years ago. But I think, um, yeah, I think now I look back at that and I think actually part of that was the fact that I didn't feel feminine. I didn't Mm. feel like all the girls' things didn't really suit me um, in terms of like, you know, just the girls' activities did not resonate with me. And so my other option was a lot of the boys' stuff. So by the time, you know, and that really, I could really express myself through sports because Mm -hmm. you could be, you know, it was important to be aggressive, to be strong, to win, to be competitive. Like I really expressed that whole part of myself. (laughs) Probably took it a little bit too far and probably let it overflow slightly into other areas of my life where it's not necessary at all. Um, But, yeah, I do remember that feeling of, you know, being really strong and also I was always put into a leadership role. So if I was on a team, I was the captain. By the time I was in year seven, I remember I was the only girl still playing soccer and I captained the team. Okay, so let's let's move from there then. Do you remember before you got your period, do you remember your mum or your dad or anybody for that matter coming and talking to you about that? And I re- do not remember anyone coming and talking really? to me. I do remember there was a talk at school yeah. um, where the girls and the boys got separated mm-hmm. and there was some sort of you know, complicated, um, you know, images of uh, like a cervix and fallopian tubes. Mm. And I remember thinking I I could not see how that, I couldn't work out where or how that a fallopian, like I was like, where are they? Like what are these? Where are are these fallopian tubes? Yeah, like this all makes noise. I couldn't work out what angle they were trying to show me from. And, of course, there's never any realistic images yeah. of a vulva or, yeah. you know, like there's nothing like that. Mm. So it's it's all just... Or blood. Yeah, that's right. It's just yeah. scientific mm. um, sort of stuff. But when I um, did finally get my period, I think I must have been 13, mm-hmm. maybe 14. Um, and at that time I shared a room with my dad. So mm. we, um, because we were kicking around a lot of different rental houses, we mm. moved around a lot um, in... I mean, my dad was basically a single parent yeah. with three children and two of them, you know, a male and female, older, you know, brother and sister. So they sort of ended up with their own rooms. Mm. And then I would always end up with dad. So I shared a room with my dad in multiple houses and we just had this bookshelf that we used to just put, we'd go into a new rental, there would be the room, bookshelf goes in the middle, dad's on one side of the bookshelf, oh, I'm on the other. Cute. <laughs> it was cute, actually. Yeah, and so, I, I remember climbing into bed with Dad and being like, Dad, I think I've got my period. And he said, <laughs> he said, oh, this is a great, this is exactly what my dad sounded okay. like. Oh, talk to your sister. Go talk to your sister. And I remember thinking at that time, but she hates me because, you know, we were going through a phase where I was a super annoying person to her and she wanted nothing to do with me. And I remember thinking, shit. I wish I'd listened to that class at school. <laughs> if only I listened at school, I would know what to do. Oh. So, but Dad must have had a conversation with Mum in yep. the handover. And so Mum, I can't remember if she gave me some pads or some yep. tampons, but there really was not, there was... A, not much was, context. It was a zero fanfare situation. <laughs> so do you remember how it made you feel being this kind of sporty, sporty kid, super sporty kid and... And around that time, was your body changing at all? Do you remember? 
Look, to be honest, I don't think I was aware of huge amounts of body changes. And I think part of that was because I don't have big breasts Mm -hmm. and I didn't have, so I didn't have that. Like I had girlfriends at the time who, you know, growing boobs at an age where your brain is like a kid and your body's turning into a woman's body, I could see how difficult that was for them. Um, but for me, it was not, I mean, I've always been pretty flat chested. So, you know, I, I guess I've had, and cause I'm tall, I'm broad shouldered. I've mm-hmm. got a very, yeah, I think I just was, it just didn't really affect me to be honest. So it's just a slight inconvenience. It was yes? a slight inconvenience That's and I don't good. really remember it being a thing. Like I remember other, like people would make a thing about trying to get out of sport, try to yep. get out of you know, it's yeah, like yeah. using it to try to get out of school. It was like we've, now we've got this tool mm. in which we can, like, get out of things. But and especially because parents didn't want to talk about it, don't you reckon? So you go, oh, I can't go to school, Dad, I've got my period. And they're just like, all right, okay. <laughs> just don't say just, that word again. Look, if, um, you're becoming, a, you know, like that middle school kind of, you know, adolescent. And did you... Then was mum or dad or mum's partner or brother brother or sister having chats about sex or any of the oh other God, stuff? Oh, God, no. Oh. There was no, no sex talk no sex at our talk. home. Um, <laughs> yeah, like everything I learned about sex I learned, you know, on the job. Yeah. And, yeah, I just got straight on the tools, basically. It's like a fucking tradie. What age? Um, I reckon I was a bit... Do you reckon you were a bit, a bit of a sexy kid, I, were you? I was a bit naughty. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty naughty. I think I just also, like, we... I had a group of a couple of friends and we were called... I mean, even in primary school in year five, we were... It was duly... We were called the terrible trio. Right. We were so naughty. The three of us just amped each other up. Um, And I think by the time... I don't know if we were maybe in year eight or nine, you know, like, we were definitely out there doing you know, having all sorts of sexual really? experiences like with all sorts of... Well, we used yeah. to have the bases, so you'd go yeah. to base, first yeah. base, second base, third base, um, and it was really important to, like, be meeting these bases. And I, just, <laughs> I got this recollection where me and this friend... This is, like, obviously... Uh, God, I hope that no... I mean, everyone I know probably will listen, but... Um, <laughs> that's OK. That's OK. Anyway, yeah. we used to have this... So it was this... I can't remember if it was... Second or third base was fingering. So it was basically about letting a guy put his fingers into your vagina. And I remember, like, me and my friend were like, right, let's do it. You know, like, going to get out there. And we're just like, I don't know where we'd find these guys. Like, we'd go down... I went to a private school at that time and we were always looking for public school boys. That was important. <laughs> yeah, like, was, do you remember yeah. the feeling? I like, don't do remember. You know? I, yeah. Look, I've got no recollection of any pleasure. Okay. Yeah. I remember it being really exciting, really yeah. fun. We used to constantly lie and say we were sleeping at each other's houses. Yeah. We'd be, we'd go out all night. We'd sleep in these, um, what you know, those um, bins for op shop clothes. Yeah, we used to sleep in those. Wow. Because they're full of soft clothes and you couldn't go home at two o'clock in the morning and you had to find somewhere warm to sleep. So we would sleep in the, um, in, I don't know what they're called. So you were a bit of a tearaway teen then? I was, (laughs) yeah, I was definitely a tearaway teen, that's for sure. And I, yeah, I I was so naughty. I got expelled from school. I left that school in year nine. Oh, year nine. Yeah. And then I had a little go at trying to do 
year 10 and year 11. I tried to go to school at another school and it just it wasn't was happening. not possible. Okay, so we've got Bo's being, you're being a bit rebellious at these kind of 14, 15, 16. And do you, you know how you had this early childhood of all this movement and sport? Were you still playing sport and doing these things? In those teenage high school years? There was a little bit of vendor, there was a little bit of crossover, but it yep. didn't last long. And then when I stopped sport, it stopped very suddenly and I was straight into smoking, drinking, yep. drugs. Yep. And then that moved into taking much harder drugs. Looking back, I sort of think, Jesus, my parents, no wonder I mean my dad had a heart attack during that time. And I was sleeping like, I was living in a squat in Subiaco. I was going out with some guy that was, like, 20. I was, like, you know, and I was 14. Wow. And I was in the police station. I'd have, you know, I was so naughty, just constantly causing trouble, <laughs> you know. Well, you were forging your own path, that's for sure. You know, we can see that, can't we, in the line, you know, that you were, you were going to do it Bo's way, you know, and this was your way for that age and that time. Can you remember how drugs felt in your body or or any thoughts about your body around that time? I think I had a lot of um like I was I was always using drugs to escape and explore. Did you like that feeling? Yep. Can you remember liking yep. that feeling? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And I think it was like um, you know, so alcohol, like I was always the kid who got so, you know, I would drink till I vomited, you know, it's like all the things I would always, instead of just taking, you know, one acid trip, I would take two acid trips and some speed and some ease, you know, it just went on and on and on where it was like constantly upping the ante. And I think that, you know, obviously I was building like a tolerance, but I also just had this kind of intense drive to just be completely obliterated and so that was you know looking back I'm like you know my parents I I know they in some ways you know blamed themselves and their sort of tricky you know the tricky upbringing that I had and and that sort of thing but I I don't know whether it was also the combination of the time you know Mm. and the the availability of drugs Mm. was also really high I mean there were kids you know, people were dealing drugs at the bottom of my school oval, yeah. you know, so it was really easy to get hard drugs. Some of that, when I think about it in relation to my relationship with my body, it was very, very disembodied. Yeah, yeah. out of really out of your body. Totally. How many years do you reckon that continued for? Well, different types of drugs took my mm-hmm. fancy for different time periods yep. but definitely like right up until my early 20s yep. I was taking hard drugs and pretty much really was um had just met my now husband um and that was kind of the end especially of the sort of must have been in the um early 2000s I think mm-hmm. you know it was really easy to get opioid so I had an opioid addiction for mm-hmm. many years and then when I met him, you know, things shift, started to shift really quickly. So, What form of opioids? Heroin oh, really? and S8 drugs, which yeah. are basically, you know, you can yeah. get people who can get scripts for yeah. those. Yeah. So I was living over east, living up in Darwin. You know, I was, yeah, yeah. working, taking a lot of drugs. Just Did you inject? Yeah. How was that? Um, I know that's a hectic question. <laughs> no. Sorry, but um, 
like do you remember I don't really know how it just was what it was I mean yeah. that's just what you did you know yeah, like you that's that's what everyone was doing I lived in an entire household of people who were doing it everyone I knew was doing it um so how'd you yeah. get off well that's what's interesting because I really have spent a lot of my uh you know this part of my adult life reflecting on habits addictions you know because I've basically just you know I've shifted from one addiction to another as time's gone on I'm kind of you know I'm just sort of sick of moving the the ball around now I'm like right I need to just like get on top of this shit multiple locations that I lived in um and every time I moved it became harder to obtain drugs so it was, you know, and also the kinds of people I was hanging out with and, you know, I was, you know, most of all of this time, this is all against the backdrop of environmental activism and yeah. blockading, which wow. I can sort of see how they, you know, you look at that and you're like, that makes no sense. But, it, you know, looking at the blockade movement, the feral movement in Australia, yeah. the you know, that sort of travelling feral world, um, I, it was just the time, I guess. Wow. And, um, yeah, I think I... I didn't have any, um, like, I didn't have any rehabilitation or go to any, you know, I just... Mm. Do you remember thinking anything about your body during that time, even even from the drug taking or messaging about weight because or anything like that? The things I definitely remember, because I haven't ever fit... I guess when I went to school, the aim and the top version of girl you could be was to be small to have blonde hair and you know have boobs so we there was sort of a and I had none of those things I'm big I got a flat chest and I got brown hair and I'm you know I'm Chinese so you know that's also unpopular (laughs) very unpopular (laughs) and so I think the the messaging I had for myself around my body was that it's not attractive um, because it didn't fit that mold and Actually, we, um, you know, I was involved in Reclaim the Night and a whole bunch of things happening in the late 90s in the Northern Territory. Mm. And, I mean, we were just walking around with no top on. Really? We were just covered in ochre and we had like a, you know, we just had these lap laps and we would just, we, I What was Reclaim the some, Night, by the way, Bo? So that was a movement and still is a movement mm. around the world for women to be able to walk safely on Amazing. the street. So, yeah. you know, friends of mine... I guess the environmental activism also, um, you know, Venn diagrammed into um, feminism and different types of activism. Mm. Um, And, of course, I'm always more um, uh, drawn to extreme types of activities. (laughs) You know, it's like, so, you know, always do it. It's like if there was an illegal, you know, it's like you have the option of a peaceful protest here or you could blow some stuff we'll up. Call it, we'll call yeah. it heroin yeah, activism. Got, yeah. It's like if you would like to do an act of terrorism against sort of some sort of mining companies, like that's the sort of thing I would be into, yeah. whereas I wasn't into like painting a placard and then doing I was like, yeah. that is bullshit. By the time I was in my 20s, I was ready to fucking straighten up. By the time I met Ricky, I was like, I am ready to straighten the fuck up. Okay, so how old are you? 22. Where are you? Tassie, blockading yep. there. Yeah. So, so yeah. Meet, meet Ricky and um, ha- had you ever thought about having children? God, no. Yeah. No? No. Nah. 
I had like the opposite of I, that. I, I had the opposite thought of having children. I I don't think I ever um, expected to be interested in having children, and I really surprised myself. Um, <laughs> but so Ricky had a daughter, a toddler with him. She was okay. Um, so you went into a relationship where there totally, was already a kid. Yeah, he was twenty one. Wow, I was twenty two, and Silver was. I think she just had her third birthday that summer. Mm. So, um, I kind of ended up straight into parenting at twenty two, and then I did surprise myself by, you know, actually, really. Wanting to have children. Really? I was really... Inspired by um, parenting a bit, do you think? Look, as a step-parent, I remember saying and thinking, oh, it's brilliant getting a kid when they're three. Mm. Like, this is the best deal because there's no, you know, by that stage she's just about out of, you know, like Mm. accidental poos were pretty, um, you know, (laughs) rare. You know, I thought, jeez, I have hit the jackpot. This kid's pretty much toilet trained. (laughs) Sleeps all night. I'm like, honestly, puts guys. Puts its own food in its mouth. Guys, guys, I've worked out this life hack. And the life hack is find a guy with a toddler. No. Um, yeah, I think in some ways I I guess we were just already parenting. We have just, mm. you know, we've been, we're still together and we are still, par- you know, we've still got one of our kids at home and, yeah. So... You've got the your step parenting. You've got this little kid that you're living with, and how much longer after that did you get pregnant? Uh, three years. Three years yep. planned. Unplanned. Unplanned. Yeah. What? But what we really was... did want to have a kid. Like did I was you? so keen, oh. and it was so. But it was so. I had such a struggle because. I kind of, um, I sort of felt like parenting or being a mum was something that other people did. I never would identify, like even now if people, if like, if I was to like write on my Instagram handle, I would never write wife, mother. Like I would never write any of those things. Like I do not, you know, but absolutely. I was so, um, I was so excited about having a you know, kid with this person who I already, you know, had been through, like I could just see was just top class dad material. I was oh, like, true, oh my God. Oh, true, of course. Yeah. You get the, you get the, yeah. you get the, I can try see, before you buy, mate. Try <laughs> before you buy. That's, I hadn't thought of that. That's so good. But obviously you must have been a beautiful step parent too, like, well, taking that, taking that job on. You know what well, I mean? Well, you know what's interesting? Um, you know, nobody, no little girl goes, I want to grow up and be a stepmom. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've grown up with the stepmom, yeah. multiple stepmoms, mm. one in particular, you know, one main one, and I've become a stepmom and I think, you know, being a step-parent, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a really amazing journey, mm. one That's, for another podcast, I yeah, think. Yeah, that, that is really interesting, all the mm. step-parenting in your, in your life, isn't it? Mm. Okay, so you're, you're, you're pregnant with your first child, the, the, the bare-chested ochre ochre-covered bow, <laughs> bow of yesteryear has, is it, it's merely a whisper in the distance. Um, what's, what are you thinking about being pregnant? And this whole new incredibly healthy life, I'm presuming. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, very, um, you know, I just, it turned on a dime for me. Yeah. Pretty much when Ricky and I got together, it was, right. yeah, it, it all turned on a dime. And also I am... Quite a moral, you know. Despite all of the, you know, <laughs> you, you may be surprised. Or not, I'm quite a moralistic 
you know, ethical person. So I just didn't, I would not want someone, I wouldn't want to be smoking around a kid. I wouldn't want to be taking drugs around a kid. I don't want my kids hanging around with adults who are wasted. I don't, you know, it's like that stuff for me is a hard line. Yeah. Um, so I think by the time, you know, becoming a step parent at 22, it was just, it, it was just a very a bit fast. Bit of a saviour in some ways. Totally. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because mm. I'm, you know, I'm thinking outside of myself then, mm. you know, I'm not just getting trashed all the yeah. time. Um, so when I was pregnant, um, I was 25 mm. or no, 24. And um, yeah, it was really, I found it, you know, my body has always been really strong. Mm-hmm. And going into the whole idea of birth was frightening. All I had ever seen was like in the movies, women with their legs, you know, women on their backs with their legs up in the air, screaming, uh, it's an emergency, there's ambulance sirens. Like when I really thought about it, that was all I had um, consumed in terms of cultural information around what birth would look like. And um, my partner suggested this idea of a home birth, which I was Mm. like, oh, well, that seems edgy. Um, I'm not sure whether I'm into that. And then I started poking around, had a bit of a look around at the different options. And then I thought, actually, that's totally doable. Um, Were you having a pretty seamless pregnancy? Overall, yes. Yeah. Yeah. My body still was overall felt pretty similar. I'd put on weight because I ate... Um, we lived in this house Mm -hmm. in Melbourne and we were both studying at that point. We were both, you know, we decided to become uni students. We were being, we were so broke living in this really shitty house in Melbourne. Mm. But anyway, but we did live near this, um, ice cream shop, um, (laughs) Jello bar on, um, I think it's on Ligon street in Melbourne. And, um, yeah, I would, you know, so I would just eat ice cream basically yeah. all the time and I'd never really been overweight yeah. I'd sort of been chubby here and there mm. but I was ravenously hungry when I was pregnant mm. so I just I was like oh you know because you eat and then you have the baby and then all the ba-, you know it's like but anyway so I ate a lot and then when I had my baby I was like oh I look the same <laughs> <laughs> it was a real shock I was like oh oh but wow. were, you okay, were you okay with it or you just—I like, I don't know. Like I don't look. Any, hang on, rewind for a yeah. second. Let's just—we've got to just spend a little bit of time on the home birth. Did that go okay? It did. Oh, yeah, that's good. And you know, we had um, my stepdaughter and my partner. You know, we had a little birth pool, mm. and yeah, I, by then I think I just turned twenty-five. You know, I—I I think there's like a confidence in what my body can do, and so. In my in the back of my mind, it, I just knew I was like, my body is built for this. Mm. My body can do this. Like I just had this real sense of mental fortitude and strength. And looking back, I mean, I had no reason really to believe. <laughs> I've got a lot of just false confidence. <laughs> well, is it false? I mean, you I know, know, you're like, right. Yeah, and, I mean, and you'd always kind of been like that if you look at the story so far yeah so, I've always landed on my feet you know that's what been independent yeah and been felt yourself to be quite strong and powerful yeah. so why would that change when you're going to birth yeah. you know yeah I mean I do remember it being um there being a point like the level of pain 
was so high. Mm. And then I also would absolutely describe myself as a person with a really high pain tolerance. Mm-hmm. So f- fit, high pain tolerance, and I was young yep. as well. I do have to add yeah. when you're 24, 25, you know, shit's just stretching and bouncing back mm-hmm. and, it's you know, things just aren't as hard. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I remember that point of mental like you really do pass through a you know it is a it felt like an absolute rite of passage to have been in that amount of pain and what the the midwife would say to me is it's pain with purpose yeah you know it's not suffering and she would say that to me you are not suffering Mm both and it was really really important that I wasn't suffering I wasn't under some you know, I wasn't a victim to anything. I was having this pain because there was a strong purpose behind it. And she had I to get think, this baby out. Yeah. yeah, and I think I really need that kind of... So all of the midwives, because I then went on to have also a home birth for um, Felix later, you know, I need to have this matronly person saying, Bo, you're not suffering. Stop <laughs> whining. <laughs> Pain, you know, yeah. like I need someone yeah. like that. I can't have anyone wishy-washy. That's why yeah. I like having you for training, <laughs> you know, because you're not like, oh, poor Bo, poor this. Poor, um, you're just like, come on, Bo, yeah. <laughs> get up. Well, it's bizarre you should say that because I'm reading this book about back pain at the moment and um, there's all this guy. It's an investigative journalist but there's all this stuff around pain mm. and um, how this kind of who, what, what allied health people you deal with or doctors or whatever but there's big thing it's always been doctors but actually you know there's all these other allied people who can help you and in other ways including pain specialists and psychologists Mm. etc and your partner whoever Mm. but it's like it has to be done with confidence and you have to believe in them and but they have to deliver it with confidence too because pain is so much about the brain Mm. yeah we suffer more with stress we suffer more pain because of stress Mm. and also because of personality type and obviously because of what's happening in the body but uh, that's interesting isn't it that you're Mm. saying that you know this person you had confidence in this person yeah so you could you could get past that pain which is on another level yeah as you're heading into towards your 30s had you taken up like were you moving again in any particular way or did you have any ideas about your body or how was your body going? Three questions in that so one. So <laughs> I think I a few things were going on. So, I've you know, what people would call, I, what my parents would have said, oh, she's got a big appetite, you know. I eat a lot. So to, to manage that I would have to exercise a lot. So I have to say in my 30s, my life basically looks like I'm just doing everything at top speed. I'm parenting at top speed. I'm working at top speed. I'm doing exercise at top speed. I'm just everything I'm doing at 100%. Looking back, that wasn't a good idea. (laughs) In hindsight. um, But, yeah, my relationship with my body Well, you couldn't get out of parenting. I couldn't. And I couldn't work out. You probably it, yeah. had to work because you had yeah. to bring home the bacon. Yeah. And you move it, yeah, exercising at top speed, then maybe you needed that time for yourself and you wanted to move your body. It, these times are not ideal, but they, mm. they all – I'm going to be that nurse in the – I'm going to be yeah. that midwife now, yeah. okay? No. I anyway, think, yeah, um, keep going. I definitely – a lot of it had to do with um, – I think I spent a lot of my 30s with my relationship with my body being around my weight. Mm. So – in what way? 
in the way that I'm constantly trying to work out how to, like, I think prior to having kids, Mm -hmm. you know, things change so substantially, I think, from having, you know, from pregnancy and breastfeeding and all of that sort of stuff that my, I guess I just didn't kind of, I couldn't just exercise and that was enough, like, I could just, I just noticed my weight slowly creeping up all the time. Okay. Um, I mean, I've definitely got a metabolism that is built for the apocalypse. Like, I am ready to go on a loan <laughs> right now. <laughs> and I can, if it, you know, I mean, I don't know how to build a shelter or any of the things, but I know that if I had the mental fortitude, I could stay and that my body fat reserves, like, my body would just go, oh, yeah, I know this. Also, my parents were hungry as children like Mm. both my dad came from he lived in the forests hiding in the forests of Borneo during the Japanese occupation so you know food was scarce Mm. you know same for my mum growing up very working class family with a um, with a mum who had left an abusive partner and was now single parenting with no single parents pension like getting food on the table was tough so I do. I don't know whether you know. There's all this research into all of this stuff now. Epigenetics. Epigenetics, yeah. and mm. I sometimes wonder about that sort of thing. About mm. you know, my body is just ready to starve, or so it's kind of constantly building fat. So, although I'd love to say, and I think I have been very focused on what my body does, not what it looks like. I still live in this world. Sure. I still absolutely live, and I think. When just to come back to the question about mm. my thirties, mm. a lot of that time was spent trying to work out how to get back to how my body was, right. and, there, and there was no going back. Right, there was just going forward and getting older, and also just having different limitations. Yeah, and I think that I guess my understanding of limitations in that way in the past had always been to push through things to, you know, to keep going to, you know, again, to win at things and have this kind of supercharged version that would, you know, and that's somehow Well, you got through, hadn't you, with your body, no matter what. You'd always got through and you had that confidence. That's what's what's happened in your story. Mm. So you were just doing it again. You were just doing what you knew essentially Mm. and probably – trying to get your body what you wanted to to do what you wanted it to do which it had always done Mm. and you really stretched as well when you've like I would have spent that whole time you know working and parenting totally you know tired yeah tired yeah (laughs) (laughs) I definitely had equated movement with weight uh whether it was like management yeah um and I was doing I think I started your fitness classes mm. probably when I was I must have been in my early 30 I yeah. must have been 30 yeah probably 30 mm. so I would have spent all of those you know I would have been doing my Monday Wednesday Friday yep. at 6 a.m. Uh, let's not forget that you would you didn't have did not have a sit-down job oh super you, physical job such yep. a physical yep. job like I mean your body was also your lens your tool your your that was the way you earn money absolutely right it, it has absolutely been the way I've earned money and when I go you know I'm at the camera store and you know having a chat here and there there's always other pro, um, pro photographers coming in and out 
you know, after I had my shoulder operation and, you know, in like constant, like all of the photographers that I know who have been in the game for 10, 20 years, some of them 30, have had multiple um, operations on their shoulders. Wow. And knees. How and heavy is a camera, boy? How it's it to, to be honest, it's not the camera. Okay. So you're looking at a couple of kilos here and there. Yeah. It's not that. It's the rest of the gear because we're carrying mm. all of the other gear and we carry it awkwardly. So I carry a portable studio that includes lights. It includes weights. Like literally wow. when I went to your classes and we did that thing, it's called a farmer's carry where yeah. you carry ten or eight kilo two of in those each in each hand. Yeah. I'm like, this is my job. This is mm. literally just my day at work, which is carrying all my stands, all my lights, um, weight bags and all of my gear. The other thing about um, being a photographer is that you're sometimes carrying multiple cameras and you're often, I'm often up ladders. I also handle a lot of artworks and it's, you know, those artworks are, you know, some of them are extremely valuable yeah. and you absolutely get taught in art handling to put that artwork before your body. So we're getting to the end of your 30s. The kids are getting bigger. What what year did you move to Denmark? How old were you? 2013. 20. So it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. So we so were 34. 34. Mm. Or maybe 33. So you moved down to beautiful Denmark in the Great Southern here and um, did anything change then? Uh, the first five years that I lived in Denmark were just me doing a lot more travel, so a lot of sitting in the car and then coming up for work and then doing um, these really intensive bursts of shooting work and then driving home and then sitting in front of the computer for a week. And then five years into living in Denmark, things did shift substantially for me and that was because I started swimming in the ocean and that was just the game changer. How did that happen? My daughter was at um, surf club and I didn't, I mean, now apparently you're not supposed to drop and go. I mean, I don't know, I was a real (laughs) drop and go parent. I guess I've always assumed that surf clubs are not for people like me. Mm. But when you go to a country town, everything's for you because there's only so many options. And so I'd never been part of a surf club. I thought they were for, I don't know, blonde, white, you know, beachside suburb folks. We have a community swim in Denmark on Sunday at 11am. Anyone can come. And it's an opportunity for to try to go and swim out in the ocean. Uh, and a lot of the lifesavers will come and swim next to you. They'll paddle on boards. Um, and this guy said to me, you know, come, you know, Bo, you should come for a swim. And he's like one of those really enthusiastic people. And I was like, oh, I just don't know if I can make it that far. And I'm scared of the waves. I'd, I'd never, I didn't grow up going to the beach. No? No. Wow. Did not. I mean, I grew up in Perth, sure. But my family were not a beach-going family. Um, And just to loop back to some body stuff, because my dad was obese, really, you know, he was so overweight, he never would go to the beach. He would never go Mm. somewhere where his body would be Mm. in that sort of space. So it just wasn't a thing that we did. Mm. And, um, yeah, so anyway, this guy said to me, look, if you, I'll swim out with you, Um, I'll swim next to you, and if you want to turn around, I'll just turn around with you. And I was like, oh, well, that's a, you know, that's a great offer. Ended up swimming out, ended up swimming right out to where the other people were swimming and I thought, holy shit, this is, uh, this is doable, you know. And, and after that I just started slowly building my tolerance to cold water, my understanding of 
waves because I'd mm. never really understood waves. I just found them really frightening. Mm. Um, understood how to manage difficult ocean conditions and have been swimming, um, you know, have spent many years just swimming with great folks down there. Amazing. Mm. Can you remember when you first started doing it apart from learning all those amazing things? Mm. Do you remember what you, how you were feeling, like how your body felt? Mm, I do, yeah. Mm. It's so strong, mm. so powerful. My mm. body feels amazing in the water. Mm. It's, you know, because you're also weightless in salt water, you're just really supported. You know, there's like some technical skills that you need to learn to swim without injuring yourself. You know, so there's sort of things to learn all the time and then there's also interesting sea life to look at. Mm. There's just a lot going on and it's also social, it's in nature, lots of great women swimming down there. Um, And you swim all year round, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Up until this year I would swim Mm. all year round. Okay, so you're still working pretty pretty hard, pushing pretty hard, but you've discovered this beautiful thing of swimming in, Mm. in the incredible ocean at Denmark and you're... Heading into you're now getting towards your forties, your early forties. Has had, did you know much about, or have you, you know, has anyone spoken much about perimenopause or any of those kind of things? Non-stop chatter, mate. Non-stop <laughs> perimenopausal chatter. Yeah, you're lucky. Um, so yeah, I'm one of the things that I really value about my friendships is the age differences in my friendships, and I love speaking to women, hearing about, you know their experiences it gives me a little bit of a um taste so I sort of I feel like it helps me know what to prepare for has your swim group got lots of different age women in it yeah yeah it does Mm. and um up to their 70s so you know and the other thing about these women is that they are so bright eyed like like when you see people getting out of the water I look at them and I think oh that's what I you know it's that feeling of being vital yeah like Mm. usually yeah, and I guess I'm also, you know, they're, they're role models for me. Mm. I, I'm very much like I look at that and I think that is an mm. amazing way to be, to have that vitality and that mm. glint in your eye. It's like cheeky and fun mm. and, you know, to, to have that in older people around me is so amazing. Did it veer you away from this kind of idea of this weight management Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, game changer on that one because there's so much, you know, it's you don't notice, you know, you're not clocking, you know, how much you're doing or how long you're doing it for. You're working to conditions time. So metaphorically, you know, it's really good for your mental fortitude because you don't say, I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna swim two Ks. Mm. You get in and you go, okay, let's check the conditions, let's have a look, let's swim out to that rock and then let's check what it's like and then we might get really excited and swim really far or we might just go, you know what, I'm not feeling it. Mm. Let's just go in. And you've had these great role models around perimenopause and um, have you experienced any of those kind of symptoms yet or or any of the symptoms of perimenopause or any I know you've had a challenging time this year did you want Mm. to talk around that a bit yeah so this year so just sort of to in stark contrast to a high level of body confidence and you know me having a very you know being very focused on what my body's doing and um you know being a really strong person um, this in the last 18 months I've had the slow, a slow march into chronic fatigue syndrome which then got um, compounded by long COVID. So uh, that has been so difficult because um, 
I can't exercise mm. and it is killing me. Mm. And I've had to, um, so what I kept trying to do was mm. I'd be like, I'd be really tired, really exhausted, mm. try to push through. I'd be like, maybe if I just, if I could just break the back of this, you know, if I could just, so I'll go and I would do something and go mm. for a swim or, you know, lift some weights or do something really mm. um, high intensity. And then I'd be wiped out for days. Wow. Like flat, like at, like as though every cell in my body has just stopped producing like energy. Now I've learned this thing called pacing, which is now mm-hmm. what I'm doing to manage my symptoms. But it's, you know, it is so tiny. Like I'm talking some weeks I think I have improved 0.05%. Wow. And now I'm plateauing and it is fucking intense. But, I mean, I have to find the silver lining in it. To be honest, many people thought that chronic fatigue syndrome is a neurological condition Mm because it looks a lot like depression, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're really tired all the time. And, of course, it does make you feel pretty depressed Mm. to be completely exhausted from doing nothing. So... You know, I can sort of see now because also it's a syndrome that's defined by ex- exclusion, so other major uh, immuno um, compromise scenario. You know, you have all the blood tests, yep. and then you have a list of symptoms. So it's not; re- it's just a very big catch-all, mostly experienced by women. Um, one of the things I have found useful is pacing, which yep. basically means finding a sort of a baseline that that means that I can. So for me at the moment, it is doing a short walk mm-hmm. and a couple of stretches. I tell you what, a, cu- wow. a couple of years ago, I would have considered that doing nothing. Like yeah. that would have been on par to being asleep mm. <laughs> you know, in terms of like energy expenditure. So it's it's really been it's been a lot. So um, I wanted yeah. I want to from and following from that description and everything else we've talked about. I want to ask what's the feeling and relationship being to this thing of you always having this strong, powerful body, body, and then having to come down so many notches. Oh, massive! To, yeah. It's been a huge knock to my confidence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How do you navigate? What do you do about that? What do you do? Like, I have to look. I have to be philosophical about yeah. it because, yeah, you know, what are my options? Yeah. Um. Look, I, as I say, you know, and, uh, you know, from having this conversation and reflecting on the level of intensity that I've lived my life, yeah. Um, you know, some people can live at that intensity for mm. a long time and nothing ever happens to them and they're fine. For whatever reason, my body has just, it's, it said no. From a philosophical point of view, I have to consider that my body's trying to protect me from Mm. living how I was living. Mm. As a person who has experienced depression and I know exactly Mm. what it feels like compared to just being generally down about my circumstances, this is in my body 100%. It is in my body. And the only thing that is keeping me afloat is that mental fortitude looking for the silver lining mm. and also saying to myself, this is not forever. Yeah. I have, you know, and the average amount of time that somebody... Um, to yeah, I was going to ask it's, that. It's four years. So, oh. you know, 
And so, yeah, you can't people... have this thinking like it's going to stop next week or exactly. even in six months. Exactly. You, you, you have to really, you know, for lack of a better expression of listen to your body. Yeah. Don't you? The interesting thing about listening to your body is that we have been taught to suppress what our body's telling us. Yeah. I personally have suppressed my body's, you know, because because I'm just I'm in that, I think it's, a, and I don't mean it in a negative sense mm. to be in the masculine, but I guess I mean in a more cultural yeah. way of being in, in the masculine about being in this do, do, do. Yeah. It's like people, I think I have long believed that people only want turbo bow you know like they only want this version of me that's who they want rocking up on shoots that's Mm. who they want you know in every area I have felt like the only version of me that's been an acceptable version of me is this version that is giving Mm. as my um one of my sports teachers used to say 110 (laughs) percent and you know, I wasn't one of those kids who was like, well, that's not mathematically correct. Yeah. I was one of the kids who's like, fucking yeah, 110 fucking percent, yes! You know? So, <laughs> so, yeah. In that, it's a little bit like too, isn't it, that you, there's a massive amount of acceptance there. Like, Well, there's a for, small amount of acceptance. <laughs> There's there's a there's a sliver of acceptance and and honestly I have what but can you, what choice do I have you don't have a choice yeah. but but uh, but my point is that this is one okay put aside what other people think yeah but what is important here is about what you think you know what I mean and how mm. you feel about this situation mm. and how you feel about your body mm. you know and what it's always done for you or what the idea of it and and this idea of of being of power and strength and all the rest of it. And mm. ironically, you never probably before have you needed more power and strength. I don't mean physically. Yeah. I've had to really expand or my my perspective on time has been mm. dramatically changed. Like because I can't stack one activity onto another activity. Yeah. Um so what used to take me a day now takes me a week. So mm. my expectations around that and, you know, mm. I've got a really supportive partner, Amazing. really beautiful children, really great friends. Mm. Like I've got a lot of things packing me out for mm. support um, but it's still, it, you know, it's just every, I think I'm also, as, you know, people would say, I, I am so hard on myself. Mm. Like, you know, I'm so... Um, my expectations of myself are so high mm. and, you know, to have to lower those expectations every day mm. over and over. Like some days I just think I cannot surrender. Like I, I can't lay down one more mm. element of my life. Like I just I just can't. And my mm. body's saying, well, you're going to fucking have to. Yeah. And I'm just, it is. It's a yeah, stripping yeah. and it's, and it's you, you know, you you're incredibly um, brave and being incredibly patient and we, we will really have to, it would be amazing to revisit in a few years. Do Absolutely. you know what I mean? To come yeah. back yeah, after, after when, it, when it all ends. Because I'm deep in it now, you yeah, know. That's right. Yeah, we, yeah. So when now in the midst of this episode that you're mm. going through, in the midst of the chronic fatigue and long COVID, as a woman in her at 44, when do you feel most in your body? 
Oh, absolutely in the water, which mm. is why it's been so difficult to not be able to swim this year. Mm. I think I have managed a lot of my mental health, and I think a lot of us do mm. manage our mental health with physical mm-hmm. activity. Mm-hmm. Having that taken off the table made me realise I had not a lot in the toolkit outside of movement. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's a big one. Finishing up, what would your story like to be of Bo in her 50s and beyond as far as in your body? How do you imagine her and Look, she I know it sounds like a low expectation, but basically I would like to be alive quite mm. simply. Yeah. And I know, you know, I know it's kind of, it's not trite for me. You know, I've got a, my mum was diagnosed with cancer um with breast cancer in her 40s and died in her 50s. So it is not – I want to be able to – yeah, I want to move again. Mm. I'm really – I so look forward to a time when I can have – feel that power in the water. I want to be around for my kids. I want to, you know, just – like I was saying – all you those, want to be one of those sparkly ladies wanna, who yeah. come out of the ocean that you totally. swim with too, I hey? have like that cheeky, <laughs> cheeky grin and I mm. want to just have that sort of where you just, when you see older women mm. getting out of the water, mm. they, you know how we're kind of, they say that there's like a whole section of our brain that we're constantly checking from the outside in what we look like as we move through the world, women especially. Mm-hmm. When you're in that space, you feel... It's like that whole part of you that is wondering, you know, what I look like and what my body looks like and whether I'm too fat for this and whether I'm too this or that. It's just gone. Mm. It is taking up no space at all. And when I see those older women getting out of the water, I like they are, the reason they look so glowing is because they are feeling that too. They're feeling that strength in their body. They're Mm. feeling that aliveness. Mm. And I just think, like that's that's what I want, you know, older Bo to be. I want to I want to zing in my step, you know. Amazing. Mm. Thank you so much for your generosity. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me and letting me share my weird <laughs> my weird story. <laughs> your big story. Yeah, it's, you know, I really appreciate it. I appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you. The Body Story podcast is recorded on Noongar Buja in Walilup. I pay my respects to elders past and present and recognise their enduring connection to land, sea and water. Thanks to Vixel for the music and you can find them on SoundCloud as Hi, I'm Vixel. You can find me, Sarah Walwork, at bodyschool.com.au or Facebook and Instagram, Body School. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>